It's time for Building the Game, the game. Building the game. with Jason and Fred. Building the game with Jason and Fred. It's at the end of the episode, that's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, March 4th, and you're listening to episode 614. As always, I am your host, Jason, here today, joined by special guest, Maddie Schrader. Hey, Maddie, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. It's great to have you here. Uh, we uh, we met via the Discord. Yeah. I, I don't think we met before that. Um, no, uh, I found the Discord maybe, who knows? through various other game designers, and it was always highly recommended, and I started joining the Tuesday stand-up meeting thing mm-hmm. when I have time to do that, and it's been great. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's been uh it's been good to have you. Uh always excited to have new people, especially when they're cool. Everybody's cool, but it's, it's some people are cooler than cool, right? Yeah, I try so. to be at least. <laughs> but it's Sometimes. been awesome. It's been awesome to have you there uh with us hanging out. And um yeah, yeah, you would reach out to me about a topic which we'll talk about in a little bit, but uh what have you uh what have you been up to in general? Spending a lot of time doing game design. Yeah, Which, that's good. Well, I'm here, obviously. Um, the I got a couple games in the works. Um, various stages of development, as always. Just I'm always working on something, and uh, I'm uh, working a lot with Geekway to the West, mm-hmm. which is a board game convention in St. Louis every year. Uh, we'll be talking more about that later. And mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always I've always got projects. So like whether it's game design or software development or something, I'm I'm a busy person, so <laughs> keeping yourself busy all the time. Awesome. I try. Awesome. Yeah. Uh so it's funny because I actually went to Geekway Gosh, when was that? Uh two years ago, I think. I think it was two years ago. Um, and I had no idea you were a part of it until you mentioned it, uh, last week you said, Hey, I do this stuff with Geekway. And I was like, I did not realize that. Um, yeah, uh, I started, I want to say 2017, um, I joined the Geekway board and primarily to do their website. Mm-hmm. So if you have problems with their website, I'm the person to yell at, <laughs> but uh, I try to keep it up to date. I try to keep it at least useful enough for a convention website. And uh, the big project I've been working on is their play and win system, which Geekway created play and win when Geekway was founded Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, I think now. And it's basically been adopted by tons of other conventions. Double Exposure does a lot of work for us um, to help make that event great. And they also help other conventions make that event great. So, um, Basically, that... oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Basically, the event is that I players can the designers and publishers and we create a library of games, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. seven hundred and fifty games or so. Nice. Some play nice. and win. Yeah. And at the end of the convention, every game you played gets you an entry to win that game at the end of the convention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I d- had no idea that that originally came out of Geekway. I thought that that was really interesting. I um, m- I don't think I did it 
last time at Geekway because I knew I'd be gone by the time y'all did the drawings and stuff because I had a long ways to get home. But Grand Con uh, in Grand Rapids, which is super close to me, uh, they do it every year. And one year I actually won a game. Um, but, uh, you know, like like Geekway, Grand Con has an enormous games library. I think they always brag that they have, like, the biggest game library. Um I don't, I don't, I can't substantiate that, but I know it's got a lot of games. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I really, first of all, game libraries in general, I think are so important. You know, it's a chance to go to a convention and play games that you may not otherwise have access to. Right. Um, yeah. And just not having to take your own games to the convention and carry mm-hmm. them around because they're mm-hmm. heavy. Like having games available to play is the biggest part of, uh, Especially a, a Geekway style convention where the play is right. the focus. It's yeah, yeah. No, same as Grand Con. Like, I mean, obviously the the focus there is play games with people, right? And I think one of the cool things is like you know if I come down to Geekway, uh, if I fly there, which last time I drove, but if I'm flying down there, you know, you only have so much space to go home with, right? And to come down yep. with. So bringing games is tough. So being able to play those games is awesome, but also when you can play games to try new stuff you've never tried. I love that. I mean, I've several times have played a game for the first time in a games library and then turned around and went and bought said game because I was like, Oh wow, this is really fun. And it was great to buy it and know that I was going to enjoy it. Uh, And, you know, then kind of budget space for what's coming back and you save money too. Right. In that you're not buying a game that you've never tried. And it turns out you don't care for, um, so, so I think game game libraries in general are fantastic. Um, yeah, Geekway's such game a good library tool. is uh, we host it at when we're not having the convention. Mm-hmm. It's at Miniature Market in St. Louis. Oh, cool! So but, it's always accessible then. Yeah, we have uh, it's a two thousand game curated library. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know the stats. We have a librarian that handles creating the library we make it's sure gonna be a lot of work <laughs> it's i yeah it's a it's an unfathomable amount of work for me like i can't mm-hmm. focus yeah. on that and we're always adding new games we're always we take out games that don't get people to play them so we we try to make sure that everything there is worthy of being in the library and it's great and do you all um do you have some sort of um like uh like check-in check-out system like a digital check-in check-out system you use for that yes uh that is we have custom software that we wrote um it was previously written by uh joe henderson who's one of our geekway attendees and his uh spouse is one of the board members as well and we've been using his software for about eight years now Mm -hmm. and we just started rewriting it from scratch for this year Mm mm-hmm so we have custom software that handles all the checkouts, all the check-ins. We keep track of everything. Um, it handles the play and win system, which is really unique to Geekway, how we handle play and win, because you can scan a barcode, scan the game out, scan we know who has it, how long they've had it checked out. Mm-hmm. And then when we go to announce the winners, we just push a button and it labels just it out of the printer, and it makes That's the whole cool. process... So much easier. That's really nice. That's really nice. Yeah, I know when GrandCon switched to the digital tracking system when you checked out, and I think they use probably something similar for play to win. Um, 
it's really convenient to be able to check in, check out that way. Uh, I'm sure it makes the librarians jobs a lot easier when they're curating that, having to keep track of everything, right. Uh, That they can actually see, um, you know, uh, what's going in and out in real time. Uh, That's got to be really helpful for keeping everything safe and, uh, and tracked. So with the play to win, um, this is something I I don't know. Um, I think maybe for Grand Con, I donated a game once. I know I've donated, Unpub has done uh, play to win. And really it's for Unpub, they do like, uh, they've done where you, um, if you come in as a play tester, like if you come in, they used to a long time ago, they would raffle off some games at the end. Um, I don't know how they still do that now. It's been a while, but I know that they did like a raffle uh, and people donated games. But when you're doing the play to win with Geekway, how do you get uh, the games? Are those donated by companies or people? It's a little bit of everything. Uh, We have uh, a good chunk of our budget goes to creating a play and win library. Mm -hmm. And we just buy games from Kickstarters and from Miniature Market and wherever we can source Basically, the new hotness, whatever we think right, is right, right, right. really popular. And we get six copies of each game for our primary convention in May. Uh-huh. And we have 130 games usually. So we have 750 to 800 games on our Play and Win library alone, mm-hmm. which that's... It's the event at Geekway. Wow. So when you originally said 750 games, I thought you meant for your whole library. Then you said 2,000, and I was like, I must have misheard. So now I get it. Literally 750 games of play to win. Wow. Yeah. And Grand Con, yeah. I don't know how many, but it's it's maybe like 30 to 40 at the most, um, which yeah, is probably a... normal for a lot of conventions, honestly. Yeah, like Geekway does play and win, like, I don't know how to put it anyway, but other than like big, like it, it is right. our biggest event. Um, we try to source one game for every four attendees. Wow. That is really, really good. Now, can you win more than once or no, you win one game That's per awesome. attendee, but uh, each entry, each time you play a game, get you an extra entry into that game. Right, right, right. So yeah, you can, um, but once you win one game, then like, so if I played five games, if I win one of those then I'm out for the rest of them. Yes. Or is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think that's great. I mean, especially when you're talking about 25% of the people, um, do you know what kind of numbers you see of like, do you have trouble giving all those games away or no? we, no? we sometimes have one or two games that just didn't get picked up for any for specific reason, mm-hmm. but for the most part, Sunday afternoon, it's just we announce the game and it's just a hour long line of people just coming up and saying, "Here's my name. Can I have like, my game?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a just a rush. Wow, wow, that's great though, and that is what a good way to give back to uh, the attendees, right? Um, and exactly. getting them. Like, we we used to give away, and this is a great segue. We used to have a game design contest. We used to give away. Mm-hmm one game to every single attendee. And in the early days of Geekway, we would just source like a bunch of games from miniature market. And we would just, you would pull your, pull a game out of a hat and you'd win that game as when you signed up, when you walked into Geekway. 
Um, mm-hmm. We started doing a game design contest where the winner of the game design contest had their game published, and we would give it away to attendees at like two years down the road. I remember that I because I got one of those games. So and that was really game, cool. Yeah. It was a great event. People liked it. It had some problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't a perfect event because, like, when you print three thousand games and you're that's that's a big print run for an indie right. game. Right, and, and especially if you, I mean, because you have to print it up so that every attendee gets one is the idea, right? Yeah. And it limited what we could have submitted to us because it had to be a small box game that we could afford to have that many copies printed of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it also had to be like, you'd end up with a family that has three or four copies of the game. And that's just not right. Right. Because if every badge got one, then that's... Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think... I went by myself that year, but there are other conventions where I bring my whole family. I didn't think about that. Like, we don't need four copies of this game. Exactly. So it was just, it was a great event, and we got a lot of good feedback. People want the design contest to come back. Like, it's mm-hmm. been something we've been thinking about. But trying to find a publisher who wants to print 3,000 games... To basically mm-hmm. give away, right? That's, right. It's it's hard. So mm-hmm. what I came up with this year is play test and win. Yeah, yeah. This but, I'm this I'm super excited to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. It's basically play and win meets unguided play testing. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big proponent of unguided play testing. I actually yeah, wrote a blog yeah. post years ago complaining about board game rule books and how it felt like none of them were actually tested. Right. Right. Do you want to, do you want to throw out exactly just a definition for that for anyone who's unfamiliar? Yeah. Yeah. So unguided play testing. I know we've switched terms recently, which is great, but yeah, yeah. make sure. Yeah. Unguided play testing is basically, in my opinion, I'm very opinionated on this. (laughs) The designer is not there to run the play test. Right. Right. When they're not, guiding the play test they're not teaching the game they're not there to answer questions it's basically a test of can your game run out of its rule book is it still fun when it's run out of its rule book are there points in the game where the players can figure out how to play without the designer present mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. designers can be present like that's something that a lot of designers like to be present for an unguided play test to watch right but I don't like that so much. <laughs> you and I, Roscoe would have a disagreement about that because Roscoe is very much in the camp of I want to watch to make sure they don't completely screw it up uh, for the purposes but, of. Yeah, you know, yeah. And I, I get that point of view. But to me, the unguided play test kind of gets ruined if the players can look at the designer and react. And it puts an extra pressure it, on yeah. the players themselves to not be able to have an unguided experience. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think that I think I kind of fall in the middle of like, if I was, if say I was going to enter this play test to win, right. I think what I would do is I would do some unguided tests on my own where I watched the people and was there to, to fix it. If they had a problem. Exactly. Uh, And then from there, I would get it to where I felt comfortable with it. And then that's when I would submit it for something like this so yes, that I did not need to be there. Scale. This is yeah, the intent yeah. of play test and win is very much 
get your game to the point that players can play it without you there. Yep, yep. And then test it while it's out there without you there. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of playtesters out there that would play a game without the designer present. Mm-hmm. And that's how most designer, most of your games are going to get played. In the right. best case right. scenario, one in four people who play your game will read the rule book. Right. Yeah. I know that it's not, I know that a lot of people will screw it up. Yeah. So, and even with a good rule book, right? Exactly. So do they, after they play the game, do they provide feedback? Yes. Yeah, so the, our hope is that we will have a stack of papers mm-hmm. for each play for each game mm-hmm. with a questionnaire. We'll probably have, we'll have generic questions that like high points, low points, right? Confusions, feedback, yeah. the real basic stuff. But if a designer has a specific set of questions they want asked about their game, we can supply that as well. Mm-hmm. The designer supplies a prototype to mm-hmm. us on the playtest and win shelf, and a prize to go along with it. Nice, nice, yeah. So the the prize is for play testers to get something out of play testing because the designers are getting all this feedback and mm-hmm. they're requiring play testers to take time out of their convention to play yeah. an unpublished yeah. game. Right. And taking time out of their play test, play and win. Right. Time. Right. So getting an entry into a second event, this is treated as right. a second event. So yep. if you, if you play a play and win game, you can win a play and win game, and you can win a play test and win. Prize. Right, so you theoretically could win two, depending on how many there are. So there's some, like, I mean, I can try and entice people to play test my game by submitting a good prize. Is that correct? Then? Correct. We we definitely want that, but we also want you to submit a prize that players who like that game or would like to win that mm, game mm-hmm. would like to win would would enjoy playing your prototype. We right, want, right. Ideally, we want there to be some connection to the the prize and the prototype, so it it has the same feel of you want to win. Like if you're you're making a dungeon crawler, we don't want you to put a copy of Coup on the play test and win. No, like if I'm doing a roll and write, then maybe I put a roll and write in there that I think they would enjoy or that I find enjoyable. Exactly. Um, Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. It makes so much sense. And like, we'd Uh, love to see a published designer submit their previously published game as the prize. Yep. yep. So like for me, I have heck and hounds available and Mm -hmm. that is a fun trick taking game. And it's a light kind of thinky trick taker, Mm -hmm. but that fits alongside the prototypes that I'm working on, which are also similar in weight and thematic right, silliness right. that I mm-hmm. like in my games. So if you like one of my previous games, you'll like one of my current games. Like that's that's what I want to see as far as prizes are concerned. Right, right. Can you as a and I'm not trying to make this more complicated, I'm just asking oh, questions. I mean, can a designer submit a game with multiple prizes for what I'm asking. I don't is, see why not. Like, like if you have 10 copies of heck and hounds sitting around, you could be like, Hey, I'm just going to throw these out there. And the first 10 play testers are pretty much guaranteed to win something. I wouldn't argue um, with that. Um, yeah. It'd pretty much be on a case by case basis in that right, regard. Right. It's um, just a logistical feature for you to have to track. Right. Exactly. And if it's just a matter of, we have multiple copies to give away, then our software can handle that. So, right. Right. 
just because that's you know i mean that is uh that's nice to uh think that you know you can have multiple stuff to give away and i i i appreciate the idea that so like i i i see the i could see the issue of like if i'm a designer i don't have an extra game you know many extra games to give or anything that that nice um maybe it's a little cost prohibitive for me um but also like you would hate to see like 10 designers donate nice you know good games and then like one designer like jumping in you know throwing in like left right center and like <laughs> he's like oh yeah. donated a game right um so i and i we're trying to be equitable yeah. like that's yeah. the key yeah. like one of the geekways biggest appeals to me as a human is mm-hmm. that we are always trying to find ways to make the world a better place. Right, right. Like, we want gaming to be inclusive. The Geekway mm-hmm. slogan is peace, love, and board games. <laughs> and I love that about it. Like, we're a very right, welcoming right. and inclusive community. Mm-hmm. We run a pride event every year where we donate money to local pride organizations. Love and it. It's just that's what I feel is important about Geekway and a lot of design contests, everybody's paying a fee to join the design contest. Mm -hmm. And it's always the same fee. And a game like, I'm just going to throw names out there. Like Uno doesn't take the same quality and depth of play testing. Right. Right. So. I I miss that monopoly. Oh, Monopoly. Right, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. That's that's fair. There, yeah. there are different scales of games, so the prizes yeah, and time involved. And yeah, yep. That makes and, a ton of sense. And that's what I want to see. So mm-hmm. I want players to be able to kind of play t- or designers to be kind of decide for themselves what is an unguided playtest worth to the to the designer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that. Uh, Geekway has some money we're throwing into the prize pool that I definitely am going to use for a handful of uh, sponsored entries. Mm, mm-hmm. That's so cool. if a designer yeah. is unpublished and they can't submit a game for whatever reason, they go into a special pool and we'll cho- choose five that get sponsored prizes. That's or cool. That's some great number. I'm that you're doing probably. That. I think I'm going to do 15 games on playtest and win for this first year. Mm-hmm. And five of them will be sponsored. Cool, cool. So the other ones will just be submitted by designers, and you'll choose those from... Yeah, we're going to... Right. Basically, uh, we'll hopefully be opening submissions on March 1st, so Mm -hmm. slightly before this this airs. We'll close submissions on March March 31st, and -hmm. then I'll go through... I'll have about a week to go through all the entrants and figure out the best to add to play test and win. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause we want to make sure that your rule book is solid, that at, yeah. at least yeah. at first glance that it can be played without the designer there. We want to make sure that mm-hmm. everything is as equitable and good to go to make this as good on the play testers as possible. Cause that's, that's the real focus of the event is the play testers. Right, right, right. And do the designers? I'm assuming the designers don't need to be there. Then they can just no, ship their games. Um, I would love, <laughs> I would love to invite 
designers from all over to submit their games to us. Mm -hmm. The downside of not being at Geekway proper is that we will not be able to get your prototype back because the logistics of mailing back a prototype after the event Mm -hmm. is something I really don't want to have to deal with. Right, right. No, that's a but, that's a super good point. But I, you know, thinking about it that way though is obviously going to conventions is cost prohibitive for a lot of people. Yeah. So this, you know, allowing somebody to just send their game, uh, knowing that the only thing they won't get back is their prototype, um, that is that's pretty great. I mean that yeah, uh, and saves a lot people of, a lot of money. I don't know about you, but for to me, I'm willing to give up a prototype. Mm-hmm in exchange for three or four unguided play tests. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, yeah. Especially, I mean, and I'm hopefully you get more than that. Like I, right. Right. I'm hoping with 15 games added to play test and win, added to play and win that they'll get, they'll be checked out for the majority of the convention. I, I don't know yeah, what's going to happen because it's right. really up to the players, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to be a good event. And I, I'm really hoping to get some really good feedback and, at the end of the event, we'll have basically cat- pro- winning prize categories such as the most plays, the best rated, the best sell sheet, the best pitch video, and the best mm-hmm. of show. Cool. So That's we, yeah, we want to do a design contest right? Right. based on the, the 15 finalists that actually show up at Playtest and win. Right. And I think that's a great idea um, just to, you know, give some extra benefit to that. Um for their game. And uh, yeah, I mean, three or four unguided playtests at a minimum are, that's fantastic, right? I mean, that yeah. would be really, really helpful to, uh, I mean, it's hard to get, unguided playtests, I think, are the single hardest playtests to get in, right? Exactly. Um, because. And I'm such a proponent yeah. of them, and I want to make it easier on designers to get them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, oh, go ahead. Yeah, how, how often can... Every playtester you get at a table, you you kind of want to say, I would love this to be unguided, because as soon as a player learns your game, they can never go in unguided. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm So designers seem to jump at an unguided playtest when it's not always the best place or time to run an mm-hmm. unguided playtest. Right, right. And I don't blame them for that, because like, you want to get those unguided playtests in, so trying to find ways to make unguided playtesting a thing and make it easier for people is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I, uh, am, um, so I'm working on self publishing a small game and I, for the first time in a very long time need to do unguided playtests. And I'm just like, Oof. I think I'm going to, mine's a, you know, a short RPG. So I think with mine, my plan is to, you know, sit in with people and just watch and interact uh, and just refuse to answer any questions that they have because um, of the way the game works and the way it talks you through it and stuff. And, but like, it's very nerve wracking and, you know, getting a play test on a little game like that unguided ones way easier than getting those unguided play tests on, um, on something else that is bigger or more complex. Right. Yeah. I mean, my rules fit on a hook box one page at a time. You read them as you open the box, right? So that you can't screw it up. Literally, it's like, do this thing. Now flip it over. Now do the next thing. Now, right? And that's the whole point is that it really, 
um, you know, makes it easy for you. I mean, but I look at my, some of my other games and a lot of them, I personally didn't do a single unguided play test. Some of the publishers of course did, but I didn't um, because I've always been like, I'm not doing an unguided play test unless I'm self-publishing. Um, but I think that the big thing to remember about that is as a, as a game designer, you know, even if you're not self-publishing, those unguided play tests are important because there's a chance, there's a decent chance that when you send a game to a publisher, they're likely playing it for the first time with only you telling them about the game a bit, you know, and now they've got to go off and play it and make it happen. Um, and so, so yeah, this event, yeah, I really right? want to be the, the final, the final test before you pitch. Yeah. And yeah. who knows, maybe publisher, there's, there's publishers at Geekway. So mm-hmm. they could go to playtest and win. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Get your think, prototype yeah. and get a free pitch out of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think if I was a publisher there, I would probably do that just because it's a good way to go look at the games without being bothered, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> nobody's pitching to you. You can just be like, let me read about these games. Ooh, this one looks interesting. Let's give it a try and see if we like it, you know? And if you didn't like it, um, you, you know, the players... Make, you your feedback you can be coached in a way... Right, that, like you can complain about the game left and right mm-hmm. as you're playing it without feeling like you're hurting the play t- the designer's right, right. feelings because they're never going to know that it was they missed a publishing opportunity because of it. Yeah, but then when you get your feedback from that same play test, it's going to be couched in this language that is for the designer, which I think mm-hmm. is really freeing. Like, right, right. My friend, I have a group of friends who love playtesting my games unguided. Mm, that's that's a good group to have (laughs) yeah like they wait until i'm like okay i really really want an unguided play test and then they play my game Mm -hmm. and it's great like i don't have to be there they play it two or three times without me around and then i get feedback and notes all over my rule sheet that i gave them and it's the most incredible experience and i want other people to have that experience yeah right geek way yeah, yeah. No, I think I think it's so important. And, you know, like people were saying with the Cardboard Edison contest that just happened, you know, one of the – they said one of the best parts of it was just the motivation to get things ready to that point, you know, and uh, any contest can force you to do that, right? Exactly. Um, and I think what is better about a contest like this is, first of all, it's faster, right? Turnaround time is a lot quicker for, you know, everything – but the other thing is that, like, you are guaranteed to get full unguided play tests as part of your feedback, which is not something you get from a lot of contests, right? No, you, know? you just get somebody um, to look at your pitch and be like, well, this looks cool. Right, right. And, and that's then, not a bad know, thing. That's great no, feedback. Oh, not at all. Also good feedback. Different feedback. And frankly, easier feedback to come by. So yeah. something like this, I think, is is great. Um, and I I absolutely love it. Um yeah, yeah. Uh, I I hope this catches on. I hope uh, more. I really this is the first year we're doing it, so we're going to yeah. see what happens. And uh, based on how it goes this year, I'd love to bring it back next year with a little bit more planning and clean it up, and maybe bigger scale if it ends up taking off. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'd love other conventions to offer right. this. Yeah, sort of yeah. Service, this I had mentioned GrandCon before. This seems like a a super good sell for a place like Grand Con as well, because it's, it's about the same, you know, form and size as Geekway is right. They're very similar. 
Exactly. Um, even draws some of the same crowd, uh, even though they're that far apart, because there's a St. Louis contingent that likes to come up to <laughs> Grand Rapids for Grand Con. So, um, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that, uh, hey, this could be the next big thing for designers. Like, you had play to win. Now you're going to have play test to win, and people are going to be jazzed about it. And, uh, and really, yeah, well, uh, like, really I love play testing games. And mm-hmm. if I can do it, provide feedback. And the designer doesn't have to be there teaching the game to me. Right, like, right. I love that. Mm-hmm. And Geekway is one of the few places that I really love to grab a rule book, learn the game, and play it immediately. Right, right, right. And, you know, if you're, if you're one of the people that's just, you know, working the system trying to get more prizes uh, or more chances at prizes, it's another way to do that, right? Exactly. Because you're going you're gonna to have a better chance at getting a prize. So... Um, yeah, I love it. I can't think of any negatives. I think it's a great, great idea. Uh, especially, I mean, the only thing I brought up was what if I can't afford to submit it and you're going to sponsor some people, which is fantastic. Yeah. I, um, I'm all about equity. Equ- yeah. Equitability. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And I think that's really, really cool that you are um, doing it that way. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm excited about it. I, uh, I would love to to hear about it after the fact and how it went and, uh, you know. Yeah, well, definitely we're going to see how this goes, see how many entrants we get. Hopefully I'm not un- in it. Cardboard Edison had like 300 and something right, right, right. entrants this year. So I'm hoping with this shorter time span, we don't have right, right. that many, but also getting, you have to have a prototype ready in this case. To right. be able to be ready to send it to us. So I'm hoping that uh-huh. shrinks the pool a little bit. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, it's a different it's a different type of thing, right? You know, yep. I mean, Cardboard Edison, I think a lot of people are doing it. Not a lot of people, but there's a, there's certainly a contingent of people that are doing it for, for the publicity, right? You know, I mean, like, if they can get it in there, if it can get the top 10 uh, or the top whatever, the finalists, that's good for your game, right? Yeah, it's uh, in addition to getting all the feedback and such, it's good for your game to get it out there. Um, it's a well-known competition, so they get a lot of people. Um, I think, yeah, I but I hope you get a good number uh, that's uh, easy to review and <laughs> good to choose from. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, so if this uh, if this goes well, um, obviously it's something you'll continue. You you'd likely continue doing definitely. Uh, yeah, so. And what a, what a cool twist on the game design contest uh, to make it, um, I think, better, right? I mean, yeah, I think that's that's really cool. Yeah, so many game design contests are, I guess it's not a bad thing. I, I don't want to be knocking on game design contests. Oh, no, I was actually referring to the Geekway one. This, yeah, I think yeah, this is an even better like, way to do I, that than before. If you wanted to do it the Geekway way, I w- I've been trying to come up with a way to make a game design contest screen Geekway. Mm-hmm. I've had some false starts. I've had some bad ideas, but this one I think is just, I nailed it. Just like in game design, the bad ideas uh, are what generally lead you to the good ideas. Exactly. Right? So, <laughs> awesome. Well, this was fun to talk about. Um, I would love to, we're going to do a little bit of an extended, extended pitch section here. Now uh, nice. we're going to pitch a game uh, that you also had submitted to the cardboard Edison award and you got your feedback recently. Uh, so we're going to talk through that a bit, too, and the value in that. Uh, so, yeah, go go ahead. Tell us about yeah. uh, this game. I'm excited to hear about it because I've heard the title. I know what it's about. I purposely had you tell me nothing else because I really want to hear about it on the show. So 
Oops All Bangers is the collaboratively competitive mixtape making game. Love it. And that's a bit of a mouthful. And I had to practice a lot of that for my pitch. That was a hard <laughs> pitch. Uh, but the idea is players are collaborating to make mixtapes. You mm-hmm. can't make a mixtape without getting ideas of songs from your friends. And I wanted a game that was comp- ultimately competitive. You are trying mm-hmm. to win, but in that semi-competitive way where you can't win without helping somebody else. Like, one of the games that inspired me was A Field of the Cloth of Gold by Amabel Holland, which is a mm-hmm. game about giving presents to your opponent to score victory points. And I loved that idea. So I yeah. wanted, so that's where mixtape making came in. Um, I have a playlist on Spotify called Oops All Bangers. That's like my, all my favorite songs. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It's a great name. Amabel actually told me that was a great name for a game. So I had to make mm-hmm. it a game, obviously. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so the idea of this ended up being like a white elephant draft is what I'm calling it. It's a card drafting game. That doesn't sound player, good. <laughs> one player asks for a genre of music. Uh-huh. My mixtape needs some metal. Uh-huh. All the other players take a card from their hand that's hopefully metal, but if they don't have any metal, they can play off genre and mm-hmm. play it face down. And I then when everybody's played, I they flip it face up mm-hmm. and I pick my favorite card of the ones that mm-hmm. get played. And you have to take one. And you have to Correct. take one. Yep. Mm-hmm. So think apples to apples, that idea. But what if it was gamey? What if the right, there were right. scores and numbers and you're trying to pick not the one that makes you laugh the most, but the one that's actually right. worth the most points to you? Right. So whoever's card you pick gets to pick the next card in the draft. Okay, so they get to call what they want then next. And they also get to call the genre for the next draft. Okay. okay. So if there's three now, metal songs out, right? I pick my favorite metal song. Mm-hmm. I give the first player cassette tape to the person whose card I picked. Mm-hmm. They pick between what's left over in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then whoever's card they pick gets to pick the next card. And whoever's card they pick gets to pick the next card. And so everybody's okay. picked a card. Yeah, yeah. And then a new round starts with the new cassette lead, lead cassette owner uh-huh. getting to pick the genre. Mm-hmm. So by being the first player to get picked, you get to pick the genre for the next round. So it, it encourages you to not necessarily just play off then because you want to... You want uh, to help the player yeah, right? so that you help yourself by getting to pick the next... Specif- specify the next draft to help you more than the other players. Mm-hmm. Did you, so for this, I'm curious with the cards, are there like fake songs on the cards or real songs on the cards or? Right now, because copyright's a thing. Right. That's why I was <laughs> curious. Yeah. It's just AI art, which I realize is not the greatest. I ha- I kind of hate AI art. That's. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. But so. it's, I wanted that whimsy of a Mysterium, of a Dixit, mm-hmm. yeah. where like the cards are kind of evocative of the genre of music that you're picking. 
And AI art really lended itself to that. So I just kind of went on an AI bender and made a prototype. How many unique cards are in the game? 64. Oh, wow. That's a lot. uh, Yeah, it's a 64 card deck, eight genres, eight cards per genre. Very cool. And then um, you make the best mixtape by, like, do you have different, like, yeah, get, so, everybody gets like a requirements card or something. Or? Yeah, everybody has a two private hype cards <laughs> that are the 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 vibes that they're trying to collect. And each song, each genre has two vibes that correspond to that genre. Mm-hmm. And each song has some combination of those two vibes on the song card. Okay, so it starts okay. to get a little bit abstract from mm-hmm. there but right. the goal is to match up the vibes that correspond to a genre that you're trying to collect and then there's right. also four yep. public goals that are things like the most vibes whoever has the most of these specific vibes okay gets okay points. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah yeah stuff like that right so right. There's, it's, there's a little bit of a point solid going on with different ways to score points but all of that is to obscure what players are really trying look to look for when they request right, a genre. Right. So, I mean, based on what you just said, I feel like that should have won. Uh, I want to play the game a lot. So, uh, but it didn't win. Nope. Uh, so, uh, so tell me, tell me about the feedback and the process and stuff that you got and how you what you're feeling about that. I actually got really positive feedback, which I'm I'm super excited about. Um, the biggest feedback was that the theme is phenomenal like everybody loves the theme and that is correct feedback there's only like one other mixtape making game on board game geek so like oh wow i nobody's nobody's making a play te- a uh a, a mixtape making game so that's really cool and i didn't realize that going into this project i just made a game i thought would be funny so that's that's really great feedback. Um, the other good feedback is. I got was that the uh, um, just in general, like people seemed to really like the idea, really liked the collaborative nature. Some of the negative feedback, not necessarily that that's bad, but it's right, right, was that it was that. Semi-cooperative games are hard to pitch and sell because nobody does them well. It's true. It can be tough, but that's, but so like nobody designs them well or no one plays them well. I'm not, I'm a little (laughs) torn on the feedback there because it's, I feel like it's a little of both. Like I generally don't like semi semi cooperative games or semi competitive games because mm-hmm. the intent of the game always, if it's a cooperative game and there's one winner, mm-hmm. then the mechanics of the game need to encourage that correctly. And there's right, very few right. games that do a really really good job. Like I love Nemesis. Nemesis is a great semi cooperative game. Mm-hmm. But my problem with Nemesis is as soon as you're trying to win, mm-hmm. the story of the game kind of starts to fall apart because yeah, that's tough. Yeah, it it 
it feels bad when you have to make a decision between winning yourself and mm-hmm. burning the whole thing down. Right, right. Yeah, and that's I don't I don't like when you have to make that decision in games. As Jamie from the podcast would say as they would say, you know, like if I'm given the choice between uh me winning or someone else winning and me stopping that, I, I will burn it to the ground. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but they said basically that. Yeah. Um, and so I, players are like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a point where it feels demoralized. Like, well, I'm not going to win. So why, why am I still playing? Right. Like I'm playing to facilitate someone else winning now, even if I'm not trying to do that, that's what I'm doing. Right. Exactly. And, and that, that's a bit of a bummer. I, I can see why people feel that way um, in general. I think that's, that's fair. Um, but I, I think it's it's tough to give the feedback that says, hey, um, these games are hard to sell because nobody makes good ones. Like, that's... Like, yeah, that's, it's, it's like, hard so to get that Like, feedback. neither did you, right? Yeah, it's like, give the... Ge- I, I get that feedback. I understand the feedback that right, right, right. it's a hard sell. But give me the benefit of the doubt. Right. You're basically saying, I'm skeptical that this could be a good game. Like, exactly. because other games have failed at this and that, that feels bad. Yeah. It's, it's, it it's kind of like along the lines of feedback I've seen other people share where someone says, um, this doesn't do, you know, based on what I've just seen, this doesn't do anything new or interesting for the market. So, so I don't think it's worth making. And I, I just think that's kind of condescending and not the best feedback to give. Um, like I've, I've heard that feedback before on some of my stuff and I, I don't think I've ever heard it not sound condescending when they yeah, say, yeah, like right? there's not like, a market for this. Well, yeah. I made it because I wanted this to exist. Not right. right. I don't look at designs as the marketability really. I mean, that's a publisher's right. job. Right. Right. And, right. I, and I don't want anything to do with self-publishing or running a business or marketing. <laughs> right, 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 right. I, well, and. And I mean, it's fair feedback for a publisher to say, hey, I don't think I can market this. I've had publishers say that. I've had publishers say, I think this game is really cool. I don't think I can sell it. And that's bummer to hear. Yeah. I appreciate the honesty when they're like, I love this game. I can't sell this game. It just doesn't fit in what I'm trying to do. Um, And I actually, I had a game that I pitched to several publishers and two or three of them said the same thing. And then finally somebody signed it and it's going to come out later this year. And that's awesome. That is awesome. But it took the right publisher to say, oh yeah, I can market this game. And I you want know. the right publisher. Right, right. Like that's, um, that's so important to me to have a publisher that has the same vision I do. And so yeah, that, that, was, that was one piece of feedback. Another big piece of feedback was in the let the lower the number of players, the bigger your hand size got. Okay. Okay. Which is pretty typical, but you know, on games like that. Yeah. So I've been trying to figure out a way to fix that issue because it does feel bad to have a hand of 18 cards and only use eight of them. Could you, could you do something like, um, where you've got the cards separated in different genre types or whatever, however you break it down. Um, and so when you call for that genre type, those leftover cards then are one of those is flipped. Like as an, I've done a little bit of that. Like ultimately what I ended up doing is because there's eight cards, a genre, Mm -hmm. I'm taking out a handful of cards in a three player. I'm basically taking out three cards for a three player game two cards mm-hmm. for a four-player game, one card for a five-player game, 
out of each of the genres. That makes a lot of sense. I thought you meant total, and I was like, oh, Maddie, I don't think that's going to do anything. No, 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 no. I was like, I must be hearing this wrong, because there's no way... Um, no, it's per yeah. genre. So, like, I'm taking... Out of the 64 cards, there's 40 cards in the deck for three players. Mm-hmm. There's 48 for four players, 56 for... It's numbers, and I, I don't like talking numbers. I'm bad at math. Yeah, but I, I get what you're doing. I mean, if, if if it's easy to reduce, then you can just reduce it down. Yeah, and it took me a long the time same to figure out cards how to reduce it yeah. and make yeah. it fair and right. make it balanced. It does like, sound like a game that would be, I think, more fun with more players only because obviously you've got more fun stuff coming out from different people. Um, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work with two players, right? Exactly. You know? Yeah, so so we're we're getting there. We're making the feedback was good. I'm really excited. the The competition was fierce. Like so, some mm-hmm. of the games yeah, that won yeah. uh, that won the finalists just look amazing. Yeah, yeah. So for sure, for sure. Awesome. Oh, any other feedback to share on this? Um, what other? A lot of people really liked the mixtape thing and wanted to either me to dive deeper into the the science of making a mixtape or have like actual songs on the cards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like a lot of a lot of the feedback was, I'd love to see actual songs. And I was like, well, I can't really do that without a publisher that can license those songs. So that's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I love that feedback. Cause that's like, I love hearing people find ways to like, how can we make this game even cooler? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 For sure. No, that is, that is good. I was just thinking about the logistics of trying to license that. Whew. Yeah. I know. Be... Though that said it is doable. Um, what is the name of that game? Drop mix. Um, what'd you say? Drop mix. That's the name of the game. It's Drop Mix. Um, they do like that. The three playlist making games. Yeah, yeah. And Drop Mix is super fun. When I was uh, when the kids were home for a year doing online school during the pandemic, I was like, "Hey, music class, y'all! Like, make me some beats and then uh, play them for me." And they did. They were like having such a good time, like taking things on Drop Mix. They didn't even play it like the game. They just arranged it. Um, so that we could then hear different things and stuff and experiment and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Drop mix is great. Uh, but they got away with using some stuff. A lot of it is older or a bit more abstract. I feel like to where Mm -hmm. it was probably cheaper to license, you know? Um, but yeah, but, but, but yeah, I, I also think that fake names and fake band names and stuff are the best, right? I'm, I'm you know, torn on where I want to go from the net for the for the final thematic touches. Because on one hand, I like the abstract Mysterium Dixit style art that doesn't correspond to specific anything. Because mm-hmm, if somebody mm-hmm. says I need some metal and you play a jazz song, right? To right. Them, like right. I like the table talk that happens in that moment. Right. Where they're trying to like, they come up with an artist on the spot that has right, that right. like jazzy metal vibe to it. Right, right, right. How much funnier though is it if it's like, um, you know, like 
you're like, I need a grunge album, right? Like alternative. And they play like Nirvana's unplugged, right? Like their unplugged like that's, album. That's brilliant. Right. Like, so having like a band, like you've got like a fake band, but it's like, you know, this fake band, the unplugged sessions. So like, but that's now a folk thing. You know, like, I think it's, I think you create like some fun interworld stories without even trying, right? Like it would feel effortless to the players. Um, just like a lot of little in jokes. Um, and I think, I think that is done right would be crazy fun. I totally agree. <clears throat> I, I, so, I, it, it's it's going to take the right publisher to help me finish it off, I think. I need heavy metal. Well, I don't have that. Here's Apocalypta. Here's some cellos playing Metallica, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, I love like, that. Like, the, the genres in the game are classical, electronica, hip-hop, jazz, lo-fi, metal, uh-huh. punk, and pop. Yeah, that's great. And Fantastic. Long-term, like, if this does well, I, I, don't, I don't know. But right, if it does, right, right. like you could have like the Disney edition, yeah, yeah, where yeah. each it's of the a... genres are a different Disney movie. You could have yeah, the yeah. the seventies edition, where instead of lo-fi, you have southern rock, like disco, funk. Mm-hmm. Yep, like you could yeah. play with all sorts of different aspects while having the same basic game, and yeah. Yeah, there's a lot you could do with it. Yeah, you could just do decades, you know. There's so much you could do with it. Awesome. I think I think it sounds great. I would love to try it sometime. So yeah, we'll have to set up a something. Yeah, that would be super fun. Excellent. Well, hey, I've appreciated the conversation here and hearing about the game and hearing about this awesome thing you're doing at Geekway. Um, Thank is you so there, much. What are some good ways for people to get in touch with you or find the contest? Um, well, Geekway has a mailing list. So hopping on geekway.com and joining the mailing list, as soon as we announce it, it will be all over the Geekway website, I'm sure, because I run the Geekway website, so I'll, I'll make sure that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I'm on most social media. Don't contact me on Twitter. That's about the... Um, Fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done with that one. Yeah, um, me too. But I'm on Blue Sky, so there's something uh discord my name is a frozen peach a frozen peach yes that's what it is on discord too yes i uh yeah i you sent me a message i was like who the oh okay yeah yeah I, <laughs> so that's me. well hey well hey listeners i hope you super enjoyed uh this conversation i thought it was real fun and um yeah so check thank out the so uh, mailing list. Yes, yeah, thank you. And uh, listeners, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can reach out to buildingthegamepodcast.com. Uh, there you can find a link to our Discord. You can email us to buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, or uh, you can do the easy thing and just keep coming back every single week. And until next time, good night. Good night. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.